Hey, I'm really excited. I got a special treat for you today. Uh, but for those of you who are new, my name is Justin Hansen. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And I, I'm biased, but I think we're one of the greatest churches in, in all the world. And I can say that because I've traveled the whole world. Absolutely love this church. And so if you're new and looking for uh, a hometown church, we would love for you to pray and consider this one. We love verse-by-verse verse preaching here. We love God's words so much that we preach it verse-by-verse verse every single week. That means we go uh, line by line, precept upon precept. And we are in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 19 today. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we settle our hearts today before you and we invite you to speak to us, every single one of us. God, we pray your Holy Spirit would have something special for each of us that we would learn and apply to our own life today. And there's so many of us today who have heard this story from this chapter so many different times. But I pray, Lord, that as we encounter uh, your word, it would be like fresh manna. And that we would become closer to you and better representatives of you because of the testimony like this that fills the pages of this book that we're in. And I pray for a hunger and a thirst for your word inside of each of us today. And I pray we would love it, learn it, and give ourselves to it. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I think it's interesting that in, in uh, 2023 here in America, almost our entire existence is dictated by either something we would put on a resume uh, or something that we would put on Facebook or something we would put on uh, Twitter or even Instagram. It doesn't even matter what it is. It's something that we're usually proud of and we strive to build ourselves up to be. That's what we're gonna post on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever the new accounts are today. I'm, a, I'm old, I guess I use Facebook. My daughter, 13 years old, tells me I'm old. It's not Facebook anymore, it's Instagram. So, but I'll tell you, uh, this tells us a little bit about us. It tells us that we might have just a little bit of pride in ourselves. And the reality is that all of that stuff really is the perception of what people see of us or really how we want people to see of us or want people to see us, right? So let me give you a little picture of myself. And for those of you who are, are not new to New Heights, most of you would probably know some of these things because I, I try to be personable in my, my sermons and share personal stories. But I'm from the great state of Washington, the Pacific Northwest. There's a few Washingtonians here today, the, the Marshalls, the Marshall clan. Uh, you know, I'm just a salmon-eating, nature-loving, Bigfoot-believing Pacific Northwesterner who's converted over to a chili-eating, Cincinnati-loving guy. Yeah. And I, I can say this. I, I truly, absolutely love my city. I love Cincinnati. I, I love all things Cincinnati. I love the Reds, even though they lost last night and blew a chance to get into the playoffs. I still love them. I love the Bengals. I love Skyline Chili, German Cuisine, Grater's Ice Cream, Jungle Gyms, La Rosa's Pizza, and Finley Market. I love it. Love this city. And I've been all over the place and in between, just so you know. In fact, I have lived in six different states. I have lived in Washington State. I have lived in Florida. I have lived in Missouri, I have lived in New York, I've lived in Arizona, and now I live in Ohio. Yeah, come on. You notice those six states I've lived in, I've literally covered every region, Northwest, the Southwest, the Midwest, the Northeast, and the Southeast, okay? 
So I've lived in all, all over America. I've lived in four different countries. I've lived in the United States of America. I've lived in Canada briefly. I've lived in India, and I've lived in Thailand. In high school, so that's where I'm, I'm from. I, it's hard to say where I'm from because I've been all over. In high school, I had all kinds of different jobs. I was a bagger at a grocery store. <laughs> bad one, too. I was a camp counselor. A bad one, too. <laughs> and I was a piano mover, believe it or not, and... I was bad at that. In fact, I only lasted two weeks because I was on the team where we were moving a piano downtown uh, Seattle, one of those big grand pianos, and we had it on these coasters. And I was on the team that somehow let it go. And Seattle's a city of hills, and I kid you not, a grand piano flying down the street in, in, in Seattle. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. The piano was. <laughs> the piano didn't make it. Thankfully, uh, the company had insurance, but all that to say I was, I was a piano mover for, for two weeks. It wasn't me who let it go, by the way. I just happened to be on the team that did. And then my favorite, my all-time favorite job was I was a donut maker. <laughs> and I loved it. And I lasted two years doing that. And uh, it wasn't good for my health. It started a lifetime addiction to those sweet little treats. And to this day, I hate Dunkin' Donuts and Krispy Kreme because it's killing me. I can't drive by without wanting to make a visit. So, uh, yeah, anyway. Now, and then in college, I worked all kinds of jobs, too. I served at TGI Fridays as a, as a waiter. I was a uh, hotel front desk person, whatever that title is. I, I was a hotel banquet server, security guard. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't put up with a whole lot, I'll tell you. I kept Central Bible College very safe, for two years, I, was, I, I worked as a, a tour director and at one point even worked on a train. So I've done a little bit of everything. I've studied at Central Bible College. I studied at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary, Asia Pacific Theological Seminary, and currently studying at Luther Rice Seminary. Uh, after Bible College, I served as a children's pastor. <laughs> I just, yeah, that scares a lot of you, and it should. And here's the real scary part. The guy who hired me is right there in the front row, Enos Marshall. <laughs> I don't know how long I lasted there either, but not long, yeah. Uh, I, I served as a youth pastor. I served as a college career pastor. I was an associate pastor for a while. I was a world missionary with the Assemblies of God, and now, of course, I'm a lead pastor. But that's just a little snippet of me. But what if I told you that beneath all of that was something and someone else entirely different. And I'm doing this for a purpose. I'm not much of a sermon illustration kind of guy. But today I'm going to be, okay? Now, hold on, it gets better. Okay. All right, now all of you wrestling fans right away know who I am, right? Come on. <laughs> you see, yeah, I'll take it off now. My wife said don't finish the sermon with a bandana on and don't you dare finish that sermon with your Hulk Hogan socks. So out of respect for Liz and the pulpit... <laughs> I'll go back to my normal attire, except I will keep this on, okay? <laughs> you see, 
The truth of the matter is there is somebody different underneath all of that resume that I just shared. And for most of you who know me, you're probably not going to be surprised at any of this. But when I was a little kid, I was a huge, and I mean a huge wrestling fan. Huge wrestling fan. I loved all things wrestling. In fact, my parents banned me. In 1992, I was not allowed to watch that stuff. My dad absolutely hated it. He, was, he despised it. The problem was his mom, my grandma, was the one who introduced me to it because <laughs> she, she loved it. She, had, she came from a family of like eight and all of them, mostly sisters, absolutely loved all of that wrestling. So anytime I would go to grandma's house, she would have a bucket of KFC and we would watch wrestling. That's what we did. And, and so she introduced, but I got in trouble. Apparently, you know, dad didn't think it was a good idea to body slam my younger sister on mom's coffee table. My brother and I, in the course of growing up, we broke, I think, uh, four different coffee tables. And that's not including the couches we broke, because my mom loved those old antique couches that had the wooden arms. Those served perf- perfectly for us standing on top while we pretend we were on the top wires to do a flying dropping elbow on one of our siblings. And so, yeah, dad, and then again, I had this great gimmick that I, I would record. We would record us on the old tape recorders, the VHS recorders, and my mom has countless hours of me and my brother uh, all oiled up in baby oil <laughs> with our bandanas, and we were doing the promos. And I, had a, I thought it was a really good gimmick. I was the Hebrew hammer. And uh, my dad thought it was sacrilegious. And so all that to say, 1992, he banned me from watching wrestling, and I had to sneak over to Grandma's to watch it. I loved all things wrestling. Loved Jake the Snake Roberts, Ravishing Rick Rude, Sting, Hulk Hogan, Nature Boy Ric Flair, Andre the Giant, Macho Man Randy Savage, The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Now, I want to say something, because... (laughs) Just so you know, Liz said, please clarify that you don't watch that stuff anymore. Please clarify that you stopped watching it when you were 11. So I'll, I'll say that when I was 11 years, I haven't watched wrestling since I was 11. But it was a part of who I was growing up. And no matter what, it's kind of a part of who I am still. Because even as an adult, although I don't watch it anymore, and, and if it ever comes on, the old stuff, I laugh that I used to love it so much as a kid. But I'll tell you what, in 2013, 10 years ago, I was traveling back, uh, I left Thailand, left my wife in Thailand, I had to come back for a wedding, and I was in the Denver airport, I was on the phone with my wife, we were actually having a really important conversation, and all of a sudden I said, Liz, hey, I gotta go, I gotta go, I cut it off right in the middle, she says, no, 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 I need to finish this, con- no, 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 Liz, I gotta go, I can't, I can't talk, why, why, what's going on, because I just saw Rowdy Roddy Piper, I'll talk to you later, <laughs> click, hung up, can you put the picture, I got a picture here. This is in 2013. <laughs> I, I was for sure at the Denver airport, I saw Rowdy Roddy Piper walk by. And so I ran up. I'm literally walking with him like this. I'm looking at his face the whole time, and he's not in a good mood. Like he was having a bad day, must have missed a connection. I didn't care. And at one point, he finally stops, and he looks at me, and he goes, can I help you? And I said, are you the hot rod? <laughs> And he looked at me, he goes, I am. And so we got a picture that was Rowdy Roddy Piper. And I say all this because I'm not a wrestling fan right now. I don't like that stuff. I'm just like my dad. I probably wouldn't let my kids watch that stuff. It's, well, it is what it is. <laughs> you know? But 
But here's the deal, 33 or however old I was, I saw this Rowdy Roddy Piper in a part of my childhood and I was just like a kid, I wanted a picture with him. You should have saw his face when I told him my grandma was his biggest fan. He said, what? (laughs) I was a wrestling geek. All of these things are who I am, I mean who I was. But who I was is a part of who I am, right? (laughs) So I do not watch wrestling anymore. Like I said, it lost its appeal after I turned 12. But I do have a point here. It's not just to get my Hulkamania look going. The point that I'm trying to make is that how we dress, how we present ourselves, how we talk, how we carry ourselves, all present a message, don't they? Some of it's intentionally by our own doing, but some of it's unintentional. But ultimately, we choose who we stand up to be each and every day and present our image of ourselves. Okay, so does our personal reputation Uh, Or sometimes our personal reputation tends to precede us by how we dress, the things we take enjoyment in, how we talk, how others speak of us, how we present ourselves, or if if we're Pepsi or Coke or Skyline or Gold Star, right? Tends to elicit very explicit responses from people based upon our personal experiences. I mean, I've had to learn that as a Pacific Northwesterner coming to Cincinnati, there's only one delicious chili, right? That's Skyline. If it ain't Skyline, it ain't chili. Take that, Texas. (laughs) But on a serious note, more commonly, these views of people that we take at worst can be viewed as prejudice. At best, they can be uh, presuppositions, right? Either way, we, we, we form an opinion of people when we look at them or if we've heard of them, right? Either way, in our flesh, we're making these assumptions about people before we even know who they are. So let me ask you in complete fairness, how many of you formed an opinion of me today? when I wore this ridiculous shirt. (laughs) And just so you know, before service even started, I was wearing it around my office and a few people coming in, and I loved the reaction I got. Nobody said anything, but I I could read it, just looking at their face. Is my pastor wearing a WrestleMania shirt on Sunday morning? Uh, (laughs) So there's a purpose for this, I promise. Today when I showed you my wrestling apparel, some of you wanted to judge me, right? Don't worry, my wife, she's already judged me. <laughs> she's already passed judgment today for doing it. She says, don't admit that you were ever a fan of that stuff. She goes, I just want to be married to a, a pastor with a good reputation. She said, don't, please don't share more stories from your childhood about how you liked Hulk Hogan and those different wrestlers. But hear me, church, the one thing that I want us to focus on for the rest of the morning is this. And I'm going to take you a little bit on a journey today as we go through our text. But what would happen if we all actually lived out our faith? What would happen if we all lived out our faith? You know, Acts, Acts 1-8 kind of thing. Okay? Because in the story of Ananias, there's a whole lot going on. But I think ultimately you can all come back to this one simple reality. And here it is. A man took a giant leap of faith and lived it out step by step. We are seeing Acts 1-8 accomplished here in the life of Ananias. So we're going to go and jump right in, and I've got four main points for you this morning, and then we're going to go ahead and tie a bow on this, and we're going to send you on your way. But we're we're coming here in verse 10 to the second division in this chapter. All right, so we're looking at verses 10 through 19. It involves Saul's commission. He was first converted. Now he's commissioned to go and preach the gospel. But here's the truth. Here's the reality. 10 through 19 isn't really about Saul. 
or about the Apostle Paul. He's going to come on. He's going he's to be about what the entire book of Acts is about pretty much going forward. He is, he is center stage. But this is not when he, he's on center stage. No, this is the story about Ananias. This is the story about somebody different, and I want you to see this. So the first, first thing that we see here in verses 10 through 12 is that we all have a purpose. We all have a purpose. I say we all. When I, when I say we all, I mean those who have professed Jesus as their Savior. Those who are Jesus followers, we all have a purpose. Look with me at verse 10. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. I'm going to stop here because you know I like to stop. Here's what I want you to see in this text. God has servants everywhere. All right? Here in Damascus is this quiet, unsung believer who we've never heard up up till this point, but he's going to step on stage, say a few lines, do a small part in connection with the big overall plan of God. And then he's going to go off stage and never be heard of again. He steps on the stage right here for just an instant, and then he's gone. You never read about Ananias ever again. Now, according to church history, Ananias became the pastor of the church in Damascus, and eventually he was killed for his faith. This is a story, but this is the only mention of this Ananias in the Bible, in our text. Here's what I don't want you to miss, okay? The Lord knew all about him. Knew his name, knew his address, knew his humble faith, knew, knew that he feared the Lord. The Lord knew all about Ananias. Because here's the truth I want you to take home. God can and does use some of the most obscure believers to accomplish incredible tasks. Did you hear me? God can and does use some of the most obscure believers to accomplish incredible tasks. For example, okay, do you know the name of, uh, of the guy who led Billy Graham to Jesus? I do, only because I've read his, his biography. But most people don't, right? How about, how about the guy who led uh, Dwight L. Moody to Jesus? Or the guy who led Charles Spurgeon to Jesus? God knows Ananias. And God has a plan and a purpose for him. Look at what happens next. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Now, God knew how to speak to Ananias. He used a common medium in the Bible times. He spoke to him through a vision. Can I, can I pause for a minute and, and tell you that God still speaks to his people? God still speaks. And some of you are asking, well, how? Because I've been a Christian my whole life, and I've never had a vision. So why doesn't God speak to me? Now, I get this a lot of times being the pastor of a Pentecostal church. I get it, especially when I was a youth pastor. Kid, youth got just so confused because they'd hear all these stories about God speaking in a vision, or God saying this, or God speaking in an audible voice. And so I'd have kids automatically kind of withdraw and pull back because they don't think God is speaking to them. Sometimes the Spirit of God works in us by strengthening something in our life that's already a passion. God speaks in a lot of different ways. I've, I've shared about it before in different sermons, but, and I could have probably just preached on this for 40 minutes. I won't do that, but, but we're going to talk about it for a minute. So sometimes he, he, he's, God works in us by strengthening something in our life that's already a passion. You know, like a holy ambition for a particular part uh, of ministry or a particular need. Maybe it's the fire of passion for God to do something in your generation. Looking at the youth right now. Maybe God's stirring something in your heart to do something for your generation, your class, your age group, right? Or maybe, maybe on your campus or maybe in your family and that grows inside of you so much that you can't get away from it. But that's less of a word from God than it is a holy discontent with a situation. 
It might be a broken heart over injustice and pain, or it might be a burning passion to see God glorified. Some of you still might not be following me, so I want to give you an example from the Bible, because we always go back to the Bible, right? That's our guide. Bible never records God ever telling. You guys all know the famous story, David and Goliath. Even, even those who haven't grown up in church know this story. But you know the Bible doesn't ever record God telling David that he wanted him to fight with Goliath? Goliath? Never did. It's not, it's not in the Bible. God didn't call David over to some corner and say, listen, David, there's gonna be this giant there and he's gonna say this and then you don't take, and then I want you to stand up and fight against him and you don't take any of the other warrior's armor but instead you go and you find some rocks. This is how you're gonna take out the giant. He didn't do that. That's not, that's not what the Bible records. David simply found himself in a place with a defiant giant. He was burning with a holy zeal and he assumed that meant God wanted him to fight. Okay? Also, God gave David no assurance that he would defeat Goliath on that day. And David simply believed God wanted him to fight the giant, trusted God with the outcome. That's big. So God may be speaking to some of you right now in your current season about something. The question is, are you listening? Maybe you feel uneasy about an unreached people group with no access to the gospel. Maybe it just doesn't sit right with you. Maybe it's a career field with little to no viable Christian witness. Maybe it's the hundreds of foster kids in your community who pass from home to home with no one to ever love them consistently. Maybe it's thousands of girls being turned over to the sex slave trade in Southeast Asia. Maybe it's a school in which God's name is regularly blasphemed. Maybe a career field in which no one walks in the fear of God. Maybe it's just the kids in your community growing up without the fear of God. Here's the deal. God is still speaking today. The question is, will you do something about it? I love how D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, there is no question but that God's people can look for and expect leadings, guidance, indications of what they are meant to do. Men have been told by the Holy Spirit to do something. They knew it was the Holy Spirit speaking to them, and it transpired that it obviously was his leading. It seemed clear to me that if we deny such a possibility... We are again guilty of quenching the spirit. And then again, in the same dialogue, talking about those, those people who just love to critique and mock everyone who claims to hear from the Lord, he says this, God have mercy upon them. God have mercy upon them. It's better to be credulous than to be carnal and to be smug and dead. It's good advice for us today, I think. It's pretty good. Be careful. I'm not telling you not to be careful. As a pastor, I always hear God told me. <laughs> and a lot of times God didn't, it wasn't God because it goes directly against his word. I can't tell you how many times I've had couples tell me God is telling me to divorce and leave my spouse for this person. No, God's not telling you to do that. So I'm not, I'm not telling you to go and every time somebody says, thus saith the Lord, you, you gotta listen. But I'm, I'm telling you to be wise. But I'm telling you to don't, don't question that the Holy Spirit still works in this way, Right? Now, with that being said, like I said before, I was a youth pastor. I had kids all the time tell me, well, God doesn't speak to me anymore. So-and-so said God spoke to him to do that or this, and God doesn't speak to me. And here's what I would always say. If you want to hear from God, start with his word. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. If you want to hear from God, start with his word. Don't ask God for a vision or to speak to you if you're not reading his word. Reading his word and waiting upon him is the key to hearing from God. Some of my 
favorite childhood memories are when I got to hear these amazing preachers being born and raised in the Assemblies of God. My dad, that's on Sunday night, and I miss Sunday nights. Sunday night, we would have guest speakers come, and they would share about what God was doing on the mission field, or guest evangelists, or guest speakers. And it was part of my, one of the best parts of my childhood, because I got to hear so many great men of God share these stories. And oftentimes, they would say, God spoke to me, and we did this. However, as excited as I was about those stories, as I was about those stories, the older I got, the more I realized that sometimes, and I emphasize sometimes, it had a negative effect. Let me explain. Because again, I'm not saying that these preachers said wasn't true or didn't happen because the story proved that it was God. They would say God spoke to him to do this or do that, and God would show up and do incredible things. The negative effect that I'm talking about was that sometimes, again, I emphasize most amazing, glorious, and mind-blowing communication of the living God, which personally and powerfully and transformingly explodes in a heart that is ready to receive through the Bible every day was being ignored. See, hear me today. The voice of God is in the Bible and speaks this very moment with power and truth and wisdom and glory and joy and hope and wonder and helpfulness way more than anything we can hear outside the Bible. Do you believe that? I get nervous as a pastor for God's people. I get nervous that God's flock is going to fail to see that the greatest need today is to experience the living reality of God by hearing his word personally and transformingly in the Bible. I truly believe that if every church across North America decided that for three years we are gonna preach God's word, verse by verse, we would see some amazing things. The spiritual atmosphere would change. But we're not hungry for God's word. We're seeking experiences when we have his word right here. Something is so, so wrong when the words we hear outside the Bible are more powerful and more affecting to us than the inspired word of God. John Piper, on an experience that he had when God spoke to him, and, and John Piper said it was an audible voice. So again, don't, don't leave this place and say, Pastor Justin's saying that God doesn't speak outside the Bible. Look, God speaks through visions, he speaks through dreams. You can come up to the altar and the Holy Spirit can speak to you. I've, I know people who have heard the audible voice of God. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. What I'm saying is that, that, that if, if, if you're hearing something that doesn't align with God's word, then it definitely isn't God. But what I'm saying here is you don't need to go seek, for, seek that when you have his word right here. You want to hear, what do we say every Sunday? You want to hear from God? Open the word of God, right? Listen to what John Piper said on an experience where he said he heard God's audible voice to him. He said, the experience has increased my love for the Bible as God's very word because it was through the Bible that I hear these divine words and through the Bible, I have experiences like this almost every day. The very God of the universe speaks on every page into my mind and your mind. We hear his very words. It's amazing. Man, he's talking about the Bible here. You have access to that. Access to that every day. Can I just... Can I pause for a minute and pray a prayer over New Heights Church? Let's do this. Will you bow your heads with me? God, I pray that you, you will not allow this church, 
that's any, anybody in this church who calls New Heights Church their church and is a follower of you to be so deaf to your word and so unaffected with its transformative power that we celebrate lesser things as more exciting. And that we as your church would absolutely never consider, never consider replacing your word for something dull of your power. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now look with me. Look what, uh, look what Ananias says. Here I am Lord, what a way to respond, right? What a way to approach God. Here I am, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's a dangerous prayer I've heard people say before because it's interesting, look what the Lord's gonna do. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. By the way, the street is still, still there in Damascus today. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Praying, can you believe that? Saul of Tarsus is praying. Now remember, he, he probably prayed his whole life. This is a different kind of prayer. In fact, Charles Spurgeon says that prayer is the autograph of the Holy Spirit upon a new heart. Look, if you're really following Jesus, you're a man or a woman of prayer. Because remember, like I said, Saul of Tarsus, he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel in Jerusalem. This guy was, according to his own testimony, blameless when it came to the Judaic worship system. So this man, all of his life, would have been very familiar with Old Testament scriptures, and he would have spent his entire life praying memorized prayers. But now he's rethinking everything he's learned, what he's learned and, and, and known, and he's praying. Alan Redpath said, we can never say thy kingdom come until we first learn to say my kingdom go. I want you to know that's salvation. And this is the part of the text, Saul of Tarsus is saying, my kingdom go. He's resigning, he's letting go during these three days so that he can understand, apprehend, and obey the will of God. That's what Saul's doing. Verse 12, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, Jesus Christ chose Ananias specifically for the purpose of finding Saul and laying his hands upon him. Ananias was, was simply just, he was a dedicated follower of Jesus, and, and he was completely unknown to the world around him at that time. Just another man named Ananias, who God pulled for a very specific purpose. So think about the realities here as we set this story up. God chose Ananias, supposedly a nobody, to go and do this incredible work. You're not, you're not required to be famous, to be used by Jesus. Sometimes, I love America. I'm so glad God has called me back to America. America's my home. I feel at most at home in America. I've traveled all over the world, and I truly, truly love America. It's where I'm the most comfortable, and I know sometimes as Christians, we'll, we'll complain about what's happening in politics, or, but the truth is we live in one of the greatest countries ever, thanks to those who who proudly and boldly serve. I mean, really, we live in an incredible, incredible country. But, but sometimes I, I hate the way the West will do church because we make the pastor to be the superstar. We're not superstars, and this is, it's the church collectively that goes and does the ministry, but, but the way that we sometimes set it up is we'll put the pastor on this pedestal, we'll make him be the all-star, and then everybody else in the church doesn't think they have uh, something to give, and that's just totally baloney. It totally is. A church that's going to be growing and doing, doing the will of God is a church where everybody has realized that they have a purpose, no matter what it is, Right? 
You have a purpose. You have a mission to bring as many people to Jesus as you can. So think about the realities here. You know, we're not required to be an amazing, uh, famous person in order to be used by God. But Christ has given each and every one of us a purpose in his kingdom. And Paul even expands on that, by the way. Later in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about the gifts in each gift and the fact that Christ has laid before us the reality is what we've been gifted with and the good works that he has for us to do. You have a purpose. You do. And, and this is what I want you to take away from this. Never underestimate the value of one's soul. Never underestimate the value of one's soul. You know, my life has been so impacted uh, by the movement, uh, the Calvary Chapel movement. I, I grew up at the Assemblies of God, love the Assemblies of God, uh, so many wonderful things about the Assemblies of God, but in my own life, one of the ministries that really, really challenged me and, and impacted my life was Calvary Chapel. So Calvary Chapel is, is Pastor Chuck Smith. You guys saw the Jesus Revolutionary movie. It talks about the movement that took place, and uh, it really wasn't Pastor Chuck Smith. It was the Holy Spirit. It was God, but Pastor Chuck Smith was used by God to do some really incredible things. But he, he impacted my life. I've told you, when I was going through a really difficult time at Bible college, of all places, I'm sitting there studying to go into the ministry, and I'm going through one of the deepest, darkest depressions of my life as, I, as I'm watching my dad die of a brain tumor, and I'm questioning my faith. And I'm introduced to Calvary Chapel. I'm introduced to this verse-by-verse preaching. And I, at that point, I would still, I would order them on CDs, but I would get Pastor Chuck Smith's teachings. And then I was introduced to Pastor Skip Heidzik of Calvary Chapel. And, and Calvary Chapel has, it's literally... I owe so much of my spiritual growth to Calvary Chapel, but you think of the thousands of lives who have been converted and discipled through a guy like Chuck Smith. I mean, even when we went to Israel and I met, I met a rabbi, he pulled out his phone and showed me a picture of him and Chuck Smith. You know, just crazy. It doesn't matter where I go, people's lives are changed and touched by this guy. Um, churches around the world that have been planted, the pastors who have been raised up through, through him. In fact, he's the guy who Billy Graham said was his pastor. And that's pretty amazing. And here's why I'm telling you all this, because at the same time that Ananias was being told to go and pray for Saul, did you know that Peter was ministering to thousands in Jerusalem? At the same time that Ananias was told to go minister to Saul, Philip was preaching to hundreds in Caesarea. Ananias was discipling one man in Damascus. Even though Ananias may have felt like a nobody in that moment, he would literally become the person that would help usher Paul from an enemy of the church to one of the most impactful apostles ever. Never underestimate the value of one soul. I can't tell you how many times your circumstances change, but your calling never does. All right, there are gonna be times in your life where you feel like you're being used incredibly. Man, God is just, he's doing so much in my life right now and there are gonna be seasons where you feel like nothing's happening. Just remember that God ordains each of your steps and never underestimate the power of one soul. It might be your neighbor. You know, I talked, Liz, uh, one of my favorite stories that my wife tells is about her grandpa. Her grandpa served as the executive director of World Missions. If you're not familiar with the Assemblies of God, he, he was like the big kahuna over all the assemblies of God. And I remember even talking to him myself and saying, uh, you know, what was your favorite season? Thinking he would say when I was the executive director. I mean, why not? You gotta fly over the world, preach to thousands. And, and he would always say, my favorite season was probably when he was a missionary in the, 
in the mountains of Nicaragua. But Liz always tells this story because her grandpa, when he retired, uh, you know, it was a different season. And so he began to be able to probably pour into his grandkids' lives a little more. And Liz moved to Springfield, Missouri and attended Central Bible College. And she will say that to this day, her spiritual life took a huge turn at that moment when her grandpa started to pour into her. You see, he was no longer preaching to thousands anymore, but he was ministering to his granddaughter. And his granddaughter's here today because of that season with her grandpa. So again, never underestimate the value of one's soul. Never underestimate what God is doing in your life or the season he's put you in, okay? So we all have a purpose. And then next in our text, we're gonna see that we sometimes, God's plans don't make sense. It just doesn't make any logical sense to us. Look with me at verse 13 through 14. Sometimes we all have doubts. That's what this next uh, text is gonna tell us. Because look at verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem, how, how, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. This, this is kind of like Paul saying, Lord, look, I, I don't mean to object here, but <laughs> a little bit of doubt. There's a little bit of doubt coming from Ananias here. And like I said, I've certainly had doubt in my own life. As we started this morning, I told you a little bit about myself, and you heard about all the different ministry positions I've, I've done in my life, and here's what I didn't tell you, is there's plenty of doubt along the journey. Struggled with doubt all along the journey, because life is confusing, and sometimes we just have to embrace that reality. I've doubted God in my journey many times. I wish I could stand here before you today and say, your pastor has never doubted God, but I'd be lying. Doubted God many times. I've struggled with doubt. Many times in my walk, I've been confused. And Ananias was really confused at this point in the conversation. And and why is that? Well, Ananias has literally just been asked by Jesus to approach the one man who has a reputation for killing or torturing every single Christian that he finds. It's quite the reputation. Everybody knew who he was. And he said, Christ, Jesus, this guy? This guy? And that becomes a part of the narrative here for us today because we know that we have doubts. And Ananias, he let Jesus know that he was well aware of who Saul was and that his reputation preceded him. Just like we said, that reputation was torturer and murderer. Just the type of person you want to meet, right? (laughs) Ananias said he, he even heard that Saul had authority from the Sanhedrin to arrest and capture the believers of Jesus Christ. So not just a scary man, but a scary man that is being backed by one of the most powerful religious bodies of that time. It'd be like the Lord telling you right now to buy a one-way ticket to Pakistan and find the leader of ISIS. That wouldn't make a whole lot of sense, right? I would say, God, you do know, I, I mean, I... I see the YouTube videos. They're not doing nice things to your followers. You sure you want me to go and do this? Ananias is no different than you and me. He knew the reputation of Saul, of Tarsus, and this didn't make any sense to him. So not necessarily a bad place to be when God's directing you on a course that doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. Not even bad to have a little doubt. I didn't say act in doubt. I said it's not bad that you might have a little doubt. There's nothing bad or unusual about struggling with doubt. Every Christian needs to wrestle with doubt and disbelief. Let me finish. (laughs) Here's why I say that. Because a faith unquestioned and untested is no faith at all. That's why the great poet Lord, Lord Tennyson was able to write this. Their life's more faith and honest doubt, believe me, than in half the creeds. 
even the disciples of Jesus had to find their way through dark and discouraging seasons of doubt. And for them, it was at the very moment when belief should have become really easy for them. It was when the resurrected Jesus stood in front of them on the mountaintop in Galilee and said, uh, what, I, I want you to go into all the world. And what does it say? That Matthew records that some doubted. Some doubted. So you're not alone. As a matter of fact, you're in good company. But as we continue to unpack this text, we're going to find out that it's not just about having purpose or even doubting a little because things aren't making sense as we navigate our life. But also in the confusion of the world, God does one of the most amazing things. He provides each and every one of us as believers a calling. A calling. That's what we see next in our text. We have, we have a calling. Ananias was very confused by what was taking place. And then Jesus transitions into the very next verse, 15, and he tells us why, why he doesn't need to be confused, why he doesn't need to worry. Look with me at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the name, for sake of my name. So an immediate response to Ananias uh, not wanting to seek out the murderer of his people, Jesus tells him exactly why Saul matters. And Saul matters because Jesus is going to use him to do something that has never been done before. He's going to reach Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. Now, we know how the story ends, but you have to remember, uh, and this is super important, at this part of the story, no one outside the nation of Israel really has been approached with the gospel. Paul's going to become the first anointed apostle to actually bring the good word to, to the ends of the earth. A murderer, a torturer. God says, yep, and I'm going to use him to reach the ends of the earth. But here we also see that that's not the entire story of Paul. Because unfortunately, Saul's going to learn that in the course of doing the work for the kingdom, in his case, it's going to come at a great personal cost. Look, nowhere in the Bible does it say following Jesus is easy. Nowhere. This prosperity message that goes around, it says you can name it, claim it. You're going to live this incredible life of prosperity. It really is just leading all these believers astray. Because nowhere in the Bible, I don't know how you can read the New Testament and not come to the conclusion that there's a price to pay when you say yes to Jesus. Saul is going to learn that in the course of doing this work that God has called him to do, he, it's going to come at a great personal cost. He's going to suffer greatly for the message that he's going to bring to the ends of the earth. He'll literally be the chief persecutor becoming the chief, chiefly persecuted. And I wonder, if I was in his shoes and the Lord would call me to, to the ministry and he would have showed me in advance all the things that I would have had to go through, I wonder if I would have been as strong as Paul and said, here I am, Lord, send me. I hope that I would. I hope I would. I'm kind of glad God didn't do that for me. I'm kind of glad God, that I don't know how life is going to go. I can, I can resonate with the Garth Brooks songs. You, you, you know, uh, <laughs> I won't quote Garth. Never mind. But I'm glad I didn't know. I don't know if I want to know. But Paul did know. God told Paul what he's going to go through, and Paul still said yes. God showed him all the things he was going to suffer, and yet Paul was ready. He surrendered all. It's, it's one thing to sing the song. It's one of my favorite hymns. I surrender all, all to him. I, Yeah, I won't sing. <laughs> it's easy to sing that song, but do we mean it? Do we really mean it? God, I surrender all. Anything you ask me to do, I'm going to do. What will you have me do, Lord? There, there wasn't any changing from that. 
It's like Paul made a contract with the Lord, a binding contract, one that he wasn't going to go back on because he realized that God's hand was upon his life to develop him to this point. And no matter what, Lord, that I go through, I'm going to do it. So back to Ananias, though. He had a purpose in his mission to reach Paul. And Paul had been given a lifetime calling to reach the masses for Jesus. So in our circumstance, no matter what's going on in life, how complicated things seem, Jesus has a calling for each and every one of us that he has uniquely prepared us to do. So now I'm not just saying that every single one of us is going to be a Saul and be stopped on the Damascus Road and be called to go to the ends of the earth. But we are all called to minister. If you said yes to Jesus, you are called to minister because the Great Commission, hear me out, the Great Commission is not an option but a calling. And the Great Commission is not just for missionaries who jump on a plane and go fly to a foreign country. The Great Commission is for all who say yes to Jesus. In fact, if you read in the original Greek, we don't do a great job of translating it. It's really as you are going, make disciples. There is nobody left out of that. We say our church, the church is a movement of people, right? It's a movement of people gather, gathered around this conviction right here. Your life has purpose. God has something for you. You are on your way to heaven, but you're supposed to be bringing as many people as you can. And then finally in this section, we see one of the most amazing pieces, at least to me, at least. There's so much going on in Paul's conversion, but at the very last part of it, we see, we see that we're all brothers and sisters in Jesus. And that's important. It's right where he picks up in verse 17. We all are family. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are part of the family of God. Look with me. So Ananias departed and entered the house. By the way, Ananias, remember I said it's okay to struggle with doubt? It's not okay to give in to doubt. Did Ananias give in to doubt? Nope, here he is. He's doing what the Lord has asked him to do. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Just think about that. Ananias is one of the most unsung heroes in the Bible. You never hear of Ananias writing a book. You never hear of him preaching to the masses. But he was the guy who first approached Saul of Tarsus and called him brother. Now, it may seem incredibly simple. But Ananias, knowing who Saul was, had overcome his personal fear. He served Jesus in that moment. And he did something I think is really complicated for, for all of us. Ananias approached what was once his enemy and called him brother. This is the first time in the story that we see Paul actually welcomed entirely into the church, into the church community, into the church family as a brother. Again, the man whose reputation was murder and torture was now a brother. That, that fascinates me. I'm challenged and I'm convicted by this. Fascinate, fascinates me that the reality of the cross puts us right here. To do one of the most difficult things possible, to look someone in the eye that you know in that case less than 24 hours earlier wanted him dead and now welcome him into his family. So no matter our past, no matter what our reputation, our appearance, our actions may seem to display about us, are we not made new in Jesus? 
are we not made new in Jesus Christ and we all become a part of this family of, of Christ's brothers and sisters together, right? And so Ananias comes, he lays hands on him and he completes the task. Ananias relieves Saul's blindness and Saul literally enters a new world where he can see and he can carry out the task that God had given him. And as the verse closes, Saul recovers and he prepares for the great ministry that God has for him. Now, it seems like such a simple story, and yet there is so much in this story. And some of you might say, okay, Pastor Justin, fine, so what? What's the point? Ananias got sent on a mission. He was really freaked out about going on it. He apparently overcame, and, and he managed to go and do this mission. So what does that mean for us at the end of the day? Well, it means a lot of different things, but at least four things that I hope you're going to take home today. Remember, first of all, that we, we all have a purpose in God's kingdom. Ananias was chosen by God for a very specific task. We all have a God-given purpose in his kingdom, and God is going to make that available to you. You pray, you seek the Holy Spirit, and he will guide you. Number two, while you're trying to figure out that and you're confused as, as all get out, having doubt is normal. Don't be discouraged by it. It's a part of life. And just like Ananias, I'm sure we can all have different doubts about our purpose. We live in a world where this world definitely tries to distract us. We, we battle a real enemy. The Bible describes him as a roaring lion, and that's not a little kitty you go pet. Okay? So we live in a world where it's trying to confuse us, blind us in accomplishing our God-given purpose. But the third point, then on to the fourth point, is where the hope comes in. Because number three is that we all have a calling. Now, a purpose is a specific task. A calling is a piece of your life that's lifelong. Did you hear me? A purpose is a specific task. A calling is a piece of your life that is lifelong, never leaves. Your calling to make disciples never leaves. Your purpose can change. How many times have I said circumstances change, but our calling does not change, right? We, we are all called by God to make disciples. You might be working for a company here in Cincinnati, and, and God might take you, and all of a sudden, you're planted in Phoenix, Arizona, and you're lost and confused because you were being used by God so much at your church and you were leading small groups and now you find yourself in Arizona where you don't know anybody and you're questioning and you're doubting God's call. Remember, circumstances change. I'm a pastor today and I hope that I retire here. I really do. Hope I never, ever have to leave Cincinnati. But the truth is God could call me tomorrow. Tell me to move to Africa. My circumstance can change but not my purpose. See, we get really carried, we get really caught up into our job. Sometimes we get confused with the call. We think a calling is a place, people group. God, God will lead us and guide us and give us a purpose for specific seasons of our life. A calling never changes. So I hope you're picking up on that today. I hope you, you're getting that. Christ has prepared good works before every single one of us that we might use our God-given gifts to reach different people for the kingdom. Saul was transformed. He went from a persecutor to the persecuted in order to reach the entire world with the gospel. And hear me out. You have a calling. Each of us uniquely positioned to accomplish that calling. Some of you have gifts that I don't have, but I'll tell you what, we're, we're gifted uniquely to accomplish his mission together. And we know this. This came from Jesus. We know our primary mission is what? Go forth and make disciples. That is not just for missionaries. It's for any follower of Jesus. The calling will forever and always be written on your heart if you're a follower of Jesus. We're all, number four, the best part about going through life in a Christian community, it's what? It's you guys. 
It's us. We're all brothers and sisters in Jesus. That's the best news. We don't do any of this alone. Do it as a church. And as brothers and sisters together, shoulder to shoulder, with all of our differences, we're united because we are all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and redeemed for his purpose. Now, I could close in prayer right there, and I think that it would make a good day, don't you? Right? The realities of the cross, they give us the ability to do great work in his name, and, and we get to do it together. And there's no greater reality than that. But church, I need you to hear me. Because as we started today, you remember I asked the question, what would happen if we all actually lived out our faith? What does that mean in this context? Ananias had a moment of doubt, even when seeing a vision from God, because the power of that reputation that Saul had, for crying out loud, he killed Christians for a living. Why Saul? Because God said he too has a purpose for my kingdom. I don't know about you, but that absolutely blows my mind. I don't think any of us can reconcile the reality that a murderer, but specifically of your own followers, your brothers and sisters would have purpose. But church, we're not, we're sometimes guilty of doing the same thing. Go about our day. We see people that God has placed in our life and we'll judge them. Maybe it's in how they dress or how they act or how they talk or not, how they spend their time. The thing that grieves me the most is the reality that we do this within the church as much as we do it outside the church. We have expectations of how things should be. And I understand that culture does that to us, but but God uses every person. Take a note from Ananias here. Trust in God. Seek to reach people you may not otherwise seek. The world needs good news and we're called to the mission to make disciples. And I get it that sometimes we develop a special affinity to a particular group of people. Or we really just enjoy certain people because all the things we like are the things they like. And so we only invest our time and our energy into people who are like us. But if we're gonna actually live out our faith each and every day, we can't continue going about our day looking at people and saying yes or no, just based upon how they look or how they act. Do you understand me? This is the big idea here. How many people do we pass on the street simply because they look maybe dangerous? Or how many times have I, and I'm a pastor for crying out loud, I get up here and I preach this. How many times have I gone on an airplane where the Holy Spirit's nudged me to go talk to somebody and I won't do it? Because I think that's ridiculous. That's not how they work. I'm that guy and I'm I'm ashamed of it, but I'm guilty of it. I'm the guy who criticizes those who pass out tracks sometimes. (laughs) Boy, did I make fun of that all my life growing up. I thought those idiots, man, they're just embarrassing the kingdom. Until my mentor in New York, Pastor Bill Kirk, who I absolutely loved, told me his testimony. He said, how did you find Jesus? One day we're sitting having lunch. How'd you find Jesus? Somebody handed me a track at a pizza hut. You are kidding me. (laughs) I said, no way. Yeah, yeah, no, I read it. Two days later, I accepted Jesus. Really thankful that guy handed me that track. Boy, I'm telling you, sometimes we'll judge methods, we'll judge people, or we'll look at somebody. I've known, I've got neighbors who, if, if God said, go and, go and share the gospel, I'd be nervous to do it because I look at them and I'm thinking, of all the people, they're the last people that are gonna accept Jesus. They're not gonna embrace the gospel. But we can't do that because some of those people are probably the people that need Jesus the most. And how many of you have formed an opinion as I transformed this morning? I was a wrestling fan and you thought, ugh, 
I'll tell you what, I'm a follower of Jesus too, right? And my mission is the church, his church. Now don't be distracted by the way the world looks. We're all called to be different. We're gonna, we're different personalities. God calls us to the same higher purpose, higher calling. We're called to a higher purpose. And that higher purpose, it means that we need to bring the gospel to each and every person that we see. And that means stepping out of our comfort zone talk about comfort zone. Ananias was told to go and find the man who was killing his friends and family. I think stopping and offering somebody a coffee, I think bringing up Jesus to your neighbor, if the Holy Spirit's leading you to do that, doable. But church, don't forget, we, we don't do this alone. We do it together with the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And that means that with God, all things are possible. Now, I want to end this service a little different today. I want to open up these altars and I want if you just, you're, you're, you're wanting God to use you. You could do it from your seat, but there's something powerful when we make that declaration that we're gonna go up to the front. I'm gonna come up here to the front because I want it in my own life. I wanna be used. The greatest ministry is not here on Sunday. It's outside those doors. Now I've got neighbors who need Jesus and I wanna have the Holy Spirit in me so that I can go minister to them. I think that our greatest thing that we could ever accomplish is if we just understand that we each have that purpose we embrace it because Jesus has people in your life that need to be saved and he's going to use you he's given you a call a purpose in your own life father we love you we embrace you today God we're about to open up these altars and I want the Holy Spirit to fall afresh on us this morning that those who have never been baptized with the Holy Spirit will be baptized in the Holy Spirit today that the Holy Spirit would move and that you would speak to us through your word. We've heard your word today. We know that we have a purpose. We know that we have a calling. So what is it, God? Would you open our eyes spiritually to see the needs around us today? We don't have to jump on a plane and fly across the world because there are lost people across the street. But you know what, God? You can call us to jump on a plane and cross the world if that's your will and plan for us. Today, we surrender. Like Paul said, I... What is it that you want me to do? Like Ananias said, Lord, what would you have me do? Move in our midst today. We want to be used as your instrument to bring you glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.